Welcome to another episode of Football Frenemies. We are talking playoffs. We are talking bowl games. We're talking Heisman trophies, coaching carousel, transfer portal. It's all here on this episode of Football Frenemies. I'm so excited to get into, is this the right four teams? Who's Ohio State going to get in the portal? Did Michigan State get their guy? There is so much to talk about. And here with me, as always, is Cody Toolsline Thomas. Cody, give me an update. Have we recovered? Are we accepting this year's Cotton Bowl bid? What's your thoughts? My connection to college football right now is I cannot believe I'm going to use this analogy. But I'm essentially Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi right now, (laughs) is I am just trying to disconnect. Burn it all down. I'm sick and tired of just transfer portal this, transfer portal that, so-and-so might sit out, so-and-so's doing this. I'm kind of just trying to go off to an island by myself and say that it needs to die. Like, it's just, (laughs) I'm really defeated. To try and cheer myself up, for the past five days or so, I've been reigniting my extreme love for roller coasters and just been trying to learn as much as I could. What are the popular new rides out there over the last couple of years? What are the new incoming rides for next year? Did you know that Cedar fair and six flags merged and they're about to make this magic conglomerate of all amusement parks across the world. So, um, I'm so much more wrapped up in that compared to, uh, who left Ohio State and who's potentially coming in? That that explains some of the weird texts you've been sending me. I meant to ask you about that. Uh, that that's honestly a better explanation than I was expecting. Um, <laughs> so let's just get into the the mud here. We'll, we'll just get right down into it. Did the committee get it right? So this is I've I've been thinking about this for over the past 48 hours since it. And I've come to two definitive statements that I think are both accurate. Florida State, without a doubt, got screwed over. Yes. I mean, who would have thought during this time you could go 13-0 and as a Power 5 conference and not make the playoff? Especially when they had two non-conference wins against SEC teams, yep. LSU and Florida. It's not like they played cupcakes in the non-conference they filled it up so even with the injury to jordan travis it's kind of unfathomable that happened at the same time it's really hard to disagree with the statement that the committee select selected the four best teams at the end of the season and i think there's a very next question those are in your opinion those are the four best teams Because I've, See, got, a, I've think, got a very different top four. I think the interesting topic becomes, is Georgia still in your top four in the best teams? And so, who gets left out? Because Alabama just beat Georgia in the SEC championship. I'm, Texas right, right won now, in I'm, Tuscaloosa. And I'm Washington not worried about who gets undefeated. left out. I just want to know, who's your if you were to power rate, top four teams like don't even worry like oh i can't leave this team out just off the dome these are the four best teams 
regardless of resume, regardless of head to head. I don't care about that stuff. Who do you think is the top four teams, the best teams? Uh, if we're power rating them, I'm putting Texas number one. Whoa. Okay. And here's I, here is the the I danger don't see anyone with subjectively doing mm-hmm. best. I don't have Texas yeah. in my top four. Really? See, we can be so far apart. That's my biggest issue is that we are putting in the best teams rather than the most deserving. And your definition of best and my definition of best can be wildly different. But go ahead and I'll let you finish what you're saying. I just want to jump in there. I don't have Texas in my top four best teams. That's wild to me because if we go back to when they lost, their one loss was in a heated rivalry when Dylan Gabriel played the game of his life. And we said Texas walked in with their C-minus game. Oklahoma played their A-plus game, and Oklahoma had to win at the last second. So, yeah, Texas needed to win that game. I think Texas would be number one in the playoff if they had won that game. Definitely. Uh, and they with had finished undefeated. Win, for sure. Yeah, they would be number one. Um, I, I think they've got the best offense right now, especially if Jordan Brooks is healthy. I don't think there's a team in the country that has the rushing attack and the passing attack like Texas has. And if you're trying to compare wide receiver rooms, you know, it's hard to it's argue. Right Just Texas, Texas is in the top three with Washington and Ohio state. Mm-hmm. Uh, Worthy and Mitchell are both just excellent, excellent receivers. And that tight end they got is nice too. And they've got a good defense. It's not the, the best defense there is, but they're big and physical at the line of scrimmage. They've got linebackers who can make plays. And the secondary, I think, is just good enough to help make plays against a team that can pass the ball well. So I would say Texas is number one. I would probably put Alabama at number two. I would probably put Georgia at three and Michigan at four. And that's how I would. And so since you're saying that, I'm going to assume my two through four is your one through three. And then you've got Washington at four. Uh, I don't have them in any order, I guess. If I if I have to put them in order, I have three of your four. I just didn't have Texas. Um, okay. I, I guess if I need to put them in order, I still think Georgia is better than Bama. I know that they lost. Sometimes the better team does lose. We've seen it before. In 2021, a better Michigan team lost to a worse Michigan State team. In 2015, a much better Ohio State team lost to a a worse uh, i'm sorry i say that backwards ohio state in 2015 one of the best teams i've ever seen actually most talented lost to michigan state in one of the games that forever i will be wondering how uh that happens and georgia played i think their c plus game and alabama played probably a a minus game and they lost by three points so i still think georgia's the best team i think oh it's tough Bama and Michigan are probably two A and two B. Uh, I don't I don't know which one would go over the other. And my number four is Ohio State. I still think Ohio State. If I was, if you, I'm very confident, power ratings wise, Ohio State would be favored against Texas. Now that's why I don't push for the best teams or the power rated teams because. As we see all the time, teams that are favored to win on a neutral field 
don't often or always do it. We saw it with Oregon and Washington. Uh, Washington, very deserving, would be an underdog to every single one of those teams that I listed. Uh, and they are under currently an underdog to Texas, who I don't have on my four, but they probably be five, and they're your number one. So that that's why I asked that question. I think the the best versus most deserving discussion, I think it makes it very clear there are teams that we think are the best that shouldn't be in the playoff. I mean, Ohio State shouldn't be in the playoff. They they lost right. that opportunity. Michigan mm-hmm. versus Ohio State was a playoff game, even though I mm-hmm. still think in a rematch on a net, uh, neutral field, I wouldn't feel great as a Michigan fan. It would be very – it would come right down the wire again. Who knows? Maybe the the pressure doesn't get to McCord, and he makes that pass to Marvin Harrison Jr. So It's possible, but just a quick note on that game. I actually don't agree with you. I actually think Michigan would win by more. Because after that game was tied 17-7, to it looked like Michigan fairly much outplayed Ohio State from that point on. Because I was actually expecting when we tied it to start putting a lot of pressure on them and forcing mm. JJ to make plays. But then, you know, Michigan so many times put them in that at the end of third down, they were like inches away and were able to crank it through on fourth down. And then that Blake Corum touchdown run changed the game. Like, mm-hmm. both the teams felt different after that Blake Corum touchdown run. So maybe that was just a, a wave of momentum that Michigan was riding the rest of that game. Because Ohio State's scoring drive that they did yeah. – Ohio State's scoring drive that they did get on after that, like, they had to work really, really hard <laughs> to mm-hmm. get up the field and score. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily confident that Ohio State would have won a rematch. But if this was next year, we would have gotten that in the Big Ten Championship, which – that's a whole other conversation we'll get into at another time. But um, yeah, it's it, it felt like the right thing, the most deserving thing to do was right in front of them. You know, you had the three undefeated conference champions. And when you look at Texas, Bama, and Georgia, you use the criteria of strength of overall schedule, conference champion, and head-to-head. And Texas took it. So there's the fourth spot. Mm-hmm. So let's break into conspiracy theory territory. For a oh, bit. I love this. If the playoff was not on ESPN, mm-hmm. if all these rankings and everything was not on ESPN where the SEC just made these massive deals, does Bama get left out? Let's say CBS. Let's say CBS had the playoff, which, you know, maybe you could say CBS is a little salty about losing the SEC. I don't know. But let's say it's like the way the NFL works. It's a conglomerate of CBS, Fox, at NBC. Basic channels, they split all the games, they rotate who it is. Okay. If that's who the playoff ran through, do you think Florida State still gets in over tech, over Alabama? So do I think that the whole thing is rigged, basically? A little bit. Like <laughs> Now, I, I, I think it's Bama, as we can say, Bama we both believe is one of the four best teams. So they, they had that to fall back on, but do you think do you think the TV deals, the brand name, the connections, do you think that played any factor at all? Because to me, I'm not going to say it's the only reason why, but I fully believe that it had its influence on it. So 
I don't want to shoot this down because I'm I'm pro conspiracy theory. Uh, hmm. I I saw uh, a a tweet that basically said this is Disney getting payback on DeSantis uh, because oh. Disney owns ESPN, who mm-hmm. owns the college football playoff, and of course they had that legal battle with the state of Florida. Uh, yeah. It is pretty ridiculous, but I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, I don't buy into that because the committee is made up of a bunch of um, athletic directors across the nation. And I think that they're probably just trying to do their job. I don't think they're good at their job at all, but I don't think that they are bought and paid for, per se. Although they do live, I think they live a pretty posh life. Like, hey, let's watch football games in a room and eat snacks. And that's my job for today. Like, yeah, I, I would sign up, but I, I'm I not say, I don't think that ESPN uh, necessarily is trying to make sure they get their sec team in, but I also, I'm not going to fight it because I don't like ESPN. I don't like the sec and I wouldn't put it past them, but I'd also don't think it's probably what happened. I, I don't think it's the only thing, but I, I think it was one of those things as, they were saying, are we going to do this? I think there's a bunch of little factors that like to push something over the edge. I think, you know, you need a, you need things to be able to get enough strength behind something. Right. And I think behind closed doors, that was one of the things that added to the strength of like, okay, we should push Alabama in. Cause let's be honest, Alabama is a bigger brand name. They're probably going to travel better. Michigan, Alabama is going to get more views in the Rose Bowl than Michigan, Florida State would have. But, and there's the other thing that, you know, you're trying to predict the spread between Michigan and Alabama, Michigan, Florida State. But I honestly think if, if that is even remotely a factor, I didn't pay attention to what the director said because I knew it was going to be a bunch of crap uh, when it came I turned out. It off. But, but if that was even a remote factor about, picking the spread, then what was even the point of the conference championships? Because Oregon was a 9.5 favorite against Washington. Mm -hmm. And when you watch that game, you're like, Washington did it again. They're Mm -hmm. the better team. You left knowing that. So if the spread had anything to do with it, like, well, we can't play this game because the Michigan versus Florida State spread is so-and-so, then we're not going to do that. Which this brings in my next question is – was this decision impacted by there being a 12 team playoff next year? I mean, I guess you can brush it aside and say this won't happen ever again, but to a lesser extent, it is going to happen because you're going to be arguing, well, you know, this is a nine and three SEC team that should get in over this 11 and one big 12 team because the big 12 is garbage. So why would they be better than a nine and three SEC? So you're going to see very similar arguments happening for the nine, 10, 11 spot in the playoff next year. So yeah, like they're going to say 13 and 0 Florida state will never get missed again, but you're still going to see the same stupid argument where a team that is way more deserving than another is going to get left out because the other team is better, even though we don't have a, mathematical or logical quantification of that they just say i test uh they they play in the sec so clearly they're way better than this team that plays in the acc big 12 uh you know whatever 
I guess I can't say Pac-12 anymore. Um, it's it's going to still continue to happen. But yeah, 13-0 and Florida State will not miss next year. But they shouldn't have missed yeah. this year. No, they shouldn't have missed this year. But to me... I do believe that's part of why they did it because yes, you're right. There, like, if there was 60 teams that were getting in, like March Madness, mm-hmm. there would always, there's always going to be debate on the teams that left out. However, it's not going to be on the same magnitude because no team that is undefeated and no team that has won their conference championship is going to be left out because now the conference championships are automatic bids. You win your conference, mm-hmm. you're in, and then the top four conference. And then the top four conference champions get bye weeks. So, yes, even though there is going to be teams that always get left out and there's arguments about it, it will never be anywhere near close to this magnitude of who's going to get left out. It's not an undefeated conference champion, or it's not potentially two SEC teams that are both 12-1. and That's not going to happen. The teams that were around the bubble this year would have been 9-3 and LSU, who is a big name, but... Oregon State, Louisville, Notre Dame, you know, Ole Miss, you know, those are the teams that were hovering around the border or the bubble this year. So, yeah, there will always be conversation, but it's not these massive national brands that are consistently playing for national championships or have won a national championship in the last 10 years because Florida State did it back in 2013. So so are you saying that them making this choice is basically – uh, giving a nice runway for the the twelve team in that we're all going to accept it with open arms, like it's it's helping to grease the skids a little bit. Is that what you're saying? I believe so. I believe so. Honestly, because you have to get excited about the twelve team playoff, right? There was actually a lot of gripes about this twelve team format over the last year or so. Oh, I, I had heard gripes. a lot more. <laughs> huh? You? Yeah, I've heard a lot. I've heard so many more people be negative. Then positive. And at the end of the day, what is college football? It's a TV show. That's exactly what it is. It's a TV show that is about ratings. And so if you want to get people exciting, I don't yes, it has become that. No, it's not what it should be, but we're it it's what it is. It's where we are right now. And anytime you have a TV show that is starting to flounder a little bit, what do you got to do? You have to have a big cliffhanger at the end of the season that sets it up for to answer this question or get you excited. And I think that's exactly what this is supposed to do. It's, oh, if we had a 12-team playoff, we wouldn't have this problem. So guess what? Now ESPN and college football and all of them can flaunt, oh, as we go into next year, we don't have to worry about the Florida State problem. Everything is so great because Florida State and Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State would have all been in the playoff this year. And I think it's, and I'm going to add it too, when I was talking about the SEC ESPN little conspiracy is, I think it's another thing that just got behind putting the stone over the cliff that led to picking Alabama. I think it's just all these factors that all these little factors that when you put it together, it became very much enough. They're going to be like, sure. How on earth are we going to tell Nick Saban no when he's the 12 and one SEC champion? So Here's here's the issue. I'm going to give you another negative. So all those teams you mentioned, I think you said Ole Miss, Notre Dame, Penn State, maybe someone else in there. Uh, none of those teams deserve to sniff a playoff, and they would be in in a 12-team format. Penn State lost to the two best teams in the Big Ten and won all their other games. That's their playoff. They don't, get, they don't deserve another chance. Notre Dame 
lost multiple big games. Ole Miss didn't beat anyone of significance. Why should they ever? The 18 playoff was right there. It put was. A, put an 18 was. playoff this year. You get Florida State in. You get Georgia in. You get Ohio State in. And then you get that eight seed for uh, if you want to give it to whoever from the mid-major, like, you know, group of five school, the sacrificial lamb for the number one yes. seed. It's perfect. And we jump yes. to 12 and we're rewarding mediocrity. It's a joke. It You might be, but sometimes I think there is good to have that. Even though the format is a little different, I'm going to look at the NFL for a moment because sometimes you get teams in the, in the playoffs in the NFL and you're like, this is not one of the best teams, like even in their conference. You'll argue that there's other teams that are quote-unquote better because even in the NFL, that's 32 leagues and everything is all done objectively, you can still get teams that have harder schedules and have harder divisions. What year was it? Uh, we had to be in college when the Seahawks, maybe maybe we were still in high school, when the Seahawks won the NFC West and they were like seven and nine yeah, or maybe that. even six it and ten. And they're worse. playing, yeah. And they're playing the Saints who were like that made me want to throw 12 up. and four. They're like 12 and four. But that's where the Seahawks won that game. And that's where we got the Marshawn Lynch whole big thing right there. <laughs> and because the Seahawks were able to get in and have that home game, though, it that's one of the all-time like NFL like moments of the 2000s is that Marshawn Lynch touchdown run. And so, yes, even though Ole Miss, Penn State, Notre Dame, and all of them are not winning national champions, I still think in this first round of the playoffs, especially because they're going to be played at, at uh, schools' home stadiums, I think that is going to – I think there's going to be – some memorable games and there's going to be for some programs that getting to a playoff game and then winning a road playoff game, you would argue that is incredible for your, your organization, your, your school. Let's look at the Detroit lions for a second. If you win your division and then you win a home playoff game, this is the greatest Lions seasons ever. <laughs> is it not? And it, you and it's setting yourself up to believe that you should be more and more. Now, in college football, that could easily happen with a senior class that everyone's gone. But with the transfer portal, with NIL, I think sustainability is so much more so. What if one of these teams gets to the playoff like a Penn State and they go on the road and they go win a game? Because here's now the part where you get to with the playoff and having more teams and having a little bit more chance for chaos. A team like Penn State, if they made the playoff, depending how things go out, they might not have to face Ohio State or Michigan again. You might not have to worry about them. The two teams that are the bane of your existence in the Big Ten, you might not even see them. Let's say Penn State went on a miracle run to a national championship game. Might not have to see either of them. So for me, I actually am very excited. I don't like the number. I actually want 16. Oh and my. I've wanted 16 for a long time. Back when I was in high school, my last book report I ever did was on a book called Death to the BCS, and it was all about the 16-team playoff. Uh, Dude, that's so, way too many. So do you, I, do I, you I, I want like it. the NFL more than, than college? As the season goes on, yes. See, what you're describing is the nfl occasion of college sports. It already started. It, it, I agree. It has. 
But there used to be a time when college football was its own thing and the NFL was its own thing. They did things differently. And those who enjoyed the way college football was done, they could enjoy it over there. And then those who enjoyed the NFL could enjoy it over there. Different strokes for different folks. And now we're getting to the point where I, as a college football fan, really appreciated a regular season where I believed every single game mattered. Well, it's not there anymore. I acknowledge you, it. I have watched you, the sport I love die. Well, if you if you want on it to the be way revived, to be NFL, well, they are. But if you want it to be revived, the NCA would make me the commissioner and give me full power, and we would bring in my Premier League style play <laughs> to NFL or to the college football. So every game would matter. Your regional rivalries would still be honored. You would never have to really worry about any of those games not being important. And we would have an objective measure for how we would get to a college football national champion. And because it's all based on regular season points and all the regions are fairly balanced with good teams. If you have, if you have the most points, then you're just, you're the best team in that region because every single team in your conference would play each other. There is no, Oh, you didn't play. So so you play that everyone would play each other. Whoever had the most points is the best team from that conference. And then you just objectively, you fill in the next positions from record, you know, uh, record, common opponents, because there are crossover games, all that. But if you want to know more about that, go back to the first ever Football Frenemies podcast. It details what could be for college football and the greatest thing ever. But uh, that'll be coming in 2050. Uh I'll, I'll be still be alive, so I'm good with that. <laughs> He's got it Hopefully. mapped out. We should move on to the actual games. Do you want to jump into the Sugar or the Rose Bowl first? I mean, the Rose Bowl is the bigger matchup, in my opinion. It has been ranked number one in most bowl rankings. Uh, so just instant reaction as a Michigan fan. Uh, pros and cons. Pros... This is an all-time matchup. You have two of the most historic programs in college football history playing at the most historic venue in college football history. It doesn't get better than this. It's one of those things that even if you're not an Alabama or Michigan fan, you can just appreciate this matchup. And even if it doesn't go your way, I there's been not many games as a Michigan fan where I've watched and my team has lost that I've been able to say that was a really enjoyable and good game. Uh, There's a few, but this is probably one of those, if it's played well, where you could say, wow, I just, I witnessed a classic. And I think this has got the makings of being an an instant classic. Uh, Some other pros is that this is an opportunity for Michigan. Michigan has to slay some demons as it pertains to bowl games, uh, college football playoff performance, if you beat Alabama in the semifinal, no one can say anything to you. Like you, you just beat the SEC champ in the Rose Bowl. It doesn't get bigger than that. So that could be huge for the program, for recruiting, for just narratives. Uh, you know, can you actually do it on a national stage? Yeah. So that it's it's huge. Uh, another pro for a Michigan fans: Michigan is not going to hold back the the playbook in this game in the past couple playoff games and, and definitely a lot of these games in the regular season, 
we are watching Michigan play with one hand tied behind their back against Iowa. We just watched Michigan win 26 to zero and man, was it painful because their playbook was halfback smash off the right guard. And then you do that two times. You throw on third down and then JJ McCarthy gets sacked. There was no first down play action pass. There was no JJ McCarthy read option, read option pass. Nothing that this team can excel at was used. And against TCU last year, a lot of the playbook was held back. They looked past TCU in a playoff game. That goes to show you that Michigan arrogance people talk about. J.J. <coughs> McCarthy did not do any quarterback keepers until deep into the third quarter when it was needed to uh, catch up, basically. And then they started to score at will at that point. I don't think Michigan, even Michigan, could be arrogant enough to hold back plays against Alabama. And so you're going to know 100% as a fan, this is the best we got. And I don't have to wonder, like, hey, are they holding all season long? We're wondering, how many plays are they holding back for Ohio State? And even against Ohio State, it seemed like they couldn't quite fully unleash their potential because of their offensive line situation. And that might still be the case against Alabama. But they'll have a month to figure it out. They'll have a month to get their best plays ready. I think we're going to see the best of what Sharon Moore and Michigan can do offensively. And, of course, defensively, we'll see if they can contain Jalen Milrow. So before, uh, I get, so before I get to my main point that I want to make about Michigan, how certain can we be that Michigan is still holding back the playbook? Against because Iowa, pretty certain. <laughs> that, that's, that was painful. That, 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 but these Big Ten championship games for Michigan have kind of always been that. It, that those games have literally been do not get anyone hurt and get past it. That's Honestly, though, we're looking been. at two other examples. Uh, against Iowa, they scored 42 points the very first game, and it was a slow burn, but they were able to pull away in the second half. And against mm-hmm. Purdue, a game I attended in person, they were much more dynamic. So while I agree, I'm not sure how much they are holding back, they definitely held back some. Because when Michigan is trying or feeling confident, or is basically going for the jugular, their bread and butter, which is has not been buttered much this year, is the first down play action pass. If you look into the efficiency, J.J. McCarthy is basically batting 1,000 on play action pass. And against they did who? Anyone he does it against. And they just don't do it. Now, I think a reason is they tried it a little bit originally against Penn State, and realized, oh, our offensive tackles are horrible. And uh, they were getting torched. And then we lost our guard, so our other tackle had to, to kick in. So now we're struggling with offensive line. Can they protect long enough to get that playoff? Yeah. So that's, that's the big question. But uh, against Iowa, a team that actually is not great statistically for sacks, they still didn't run much of anything other no. than running it on first down. Yeah, they didn't, but I don't know. I'm just I like I believe that Michigan has more than what they've shown, but I try to be as unbiased as I can be. I I don't fully believe this thing that Michigan's got like pages upon pages in a playbook. Oh no, that they not have pages. yet to go no. to. Maybe a page, but 
I just I I don't believe I think I think we just see what Michigan is. They're more trusting of JJ McCarthy against the bad teams and against the better teams. They just put him in a position where he's not going to be the reason to give up the game. Because when you look at the two biggest games they've played in against Penn State, like you said, they started to rush McCarthy and get to him so fast. They said we're not even going to do play action. And then when you go against and look at Ohio State, all those first down play actions. They weren't these massive gainers. They were dump downs to the running backs and the tight ends where the Mm -hmm. ball maybe traveled five, seven yards. So yes, while the stats might look good on that, I, I don't see how that's like an X factor against a team like Alabama, where if your first action, if your first down play action is not stretching the ball anywhere from, you know, 15 to 20 yards downfield, and you're able to really threaten them and open up spaces it's not that the play action still won't work because it's never proven that it hasn't, but I, I don't know that I buy into this, like it being the ultimate X factor. JJ McCarthy scrambling. Yes. To me, that is definitely an ultimate X factor. And they have shown you were right about that. When they allow JJ to run and scramble, it transforms the offense. To me, that is actually the number one X factor. I have for Michigan on the offensive side is you got to let JJ leave the pocket and take chances. You're still looking at it with an Ohio state perspective because you're looking at it as if you're, you need to get those big chunks, right? And it's a lot easier for Ohio state to get a chunk than it is for any other team, especially Michigan, because we don't have those skill position players for Michigan. The key is staying on schedule and they actually do it better than just about every other team in the country except for the past couple of weeks where we've had these offensive line issues. And that's where a five to seven yard play action pass on first down is literally 10 times to maybe a hundred times better than a run up the middle that gains one yard or no gain, which has kind of been everything they've been doing the past couple of weeks. Our first down runs have not been effective. The running game has not been effective. You ha- if you stay on schedule, that that's basically the entirety of the offensive success is get into second and medium third and short. If you're in third and long, you've basically already lost. And that's where Michigan has found itself more and more recently. And so that's why I think if you're on schedule with those play action passes, that makes everything work way better. Even if it's not the kill shots that Ohio state fans are used to seeing. Yes, and I, I get that. I'm looking at more of the perspective, though, is that consistently good enough against Alabama compared to was it working effectively within the Big Ten, even against Ohio State? Because Michigan had lots of third and two, third and ones than they went, that they won against Ohio State. And Ohio State's defense was definitely better than they were the last couple of years. But how's that working against Alabama? And how many of those like play action passes to tight ends are sometimes going to be covered up because the one thing that I will say that I've always thought the SEC has way better than anywhere else you find is linebackers. Linebackers in the SEC are just, they're different. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, Colson Loveland will still get his against Bama. I think he's the second best tight end in the country. Uh, but I, I, I just, I wonder how effective can that be consistently against Alabama? Not that it hasn't been successful for them necessarily, but just will that be able to work? Like, is, is staying on schedule good enough to beat this Alabama team? 
<laughs> well, that's the question we're all going to wait to find out. It's going to have to mm-hmm. be uh, the the offense. Here's the the con of of this whole thing. I gave some pros. Uh, Michigan is not playing their best football. They have entered the postseason. The offense has really declined. On the other side of the the ball, Alabama started the season and they we we wrote them off. They lost to Texas. They were tied with South Florida, three to three at like deep in the third quarter. Uh, they didn't know who their quarterback was. They had tough games against Arkansas. They had one just a couple weeks ago against Auburn. <laughs> but as Nick Saban teams do, they peak at the end of the season, and with a month of prep, they play better than anyone else in the college football playoff. So I, I do see a Michigan team that's kind of limping, especially with missing their their best offensive lineman, and I see an Alabama team that – is coming into this playing their best ball. But if Michigan plays their best and Alabama plays their best, I still think Michigan definitely can hang with them and it it could be good enough, but I do think it's going to be a coin flip at that point who makes more plays, especially defensively. um, Because is it going to be JJ McCarthy that has that critical error with an interception or fumble, or maybe it's Milrow. uh, If, if the, Michigan defense is able to do things to confuse him. He has been uh, known to not be the sharpest at times, but he is also dynamic. Yeah. So I got one last question. I got one last thing I want to ask you about Michigan before we kind of highlight Alabama for a little bit. Um, Do not get upset at me at the wording. This will make more sense as we go on. But with what is looming potentially for Michigan in 2024, is there NCAA punishment or restrictions or things taken away? Is Harbaugh potentially coaching in the NFL? All these different things that could potentially come Michigan's way. Is this Michigan's last opportunity in this current era, season, whatever you want to call it, a chance to establish themselves as a national brand in college football? And here's what I mean by that. Not by how well are they recognized or the fans that they have or people know them everywhere. What I mean national brand, I mean, can they go anywhere around the country and win? Because when was the last time Michigan won a major game not in Big Ten territory? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a minute. It's uh, been a long time. And like major game, because I know at the beginning of the hardball career, He's got two wins against Florida. One mm. was in a bowl game. One was a season opener. But those Florida teams were nothing to brag about. I'm talking like a consistent top 10 program. When was the last time Michigan did that? Where they did it outside of the Big Ten's footprint? And has it happened in the 2000s? So you you already mentioned Harbaugh's uh, bowl win. So mm-hmm. basically the only thing you have to pull from is non-conference games and they haven't played a ton of them. I mean, if you want to talk I think about other bowl games, I think other bowl games matter because for me, the one that I have on it is actually the last time Michigan beat Alabama was Tom Brady's last game at Michigan. <laughs> See, I don't want to go back that far. <laughs> I know, but, but it, but it's an honest, but it's an honest thing that we have to talk it, about. Though, it's a lifetime because ago. when's the last time you left big 10 country and won a major game like that? 
because if you kind of look at the the Chad Henney era of mm-hmm. games, um, they lost a lot of those bowl games, and their biggest wins were always Notre Dame. Well, yeah, Notre Dame really is a de facto Big Ten team. Basically, like, who really, point no- to is Notre Dame. Yeah, and they're big. They're they're a Big Ten team, even though they're independent. They're in the heart of Big Ten country, and they play exactly the way most Big Ten teams do: big offensive line, bruising defense, and can your quarterback throw for 150 yards and get you a win? So I want to basically just reword your question uh, because I believe this is Harbaugh's last year. I could be wrong. I think a lot of Michigan people want to believe that he'll be back, but I I have a feeling that this will be. If J.J. McCarthy is is moving on, uh, that's not for sure, but I have a feeling he might. Without J.J. McCarthy, without uh, a lot of offensive weapons that are going to move on, the offensive line is going to get wiped out. Uh, his receivers will be all new. I think this is probably the last shot at a national title uh, for this cycle. If you want to look at, okay, Harbaugh leaves – a new coach comes in, you know, maybe they can contend in the next, you know, three to four years. I think next year they're still going to be a really good team because the defense is going to be insane. But if we're looking at a team without JJ McCarthy, which is still an if, but I think it's likely you're definitely not going to be at the level they are now. So I think this is their shot and they're, they're going to be like you said, nationally, relevant or contending like they're they're gonna get those wins because of a 12 team playoff like they're gonna take a win over an sec team or they're gonna beat teams like oregon and washington and usc like they'll beat those teams but as far as national titles are uh, considered i think this is it and if if they win this year it can propel them to more in the future but next year like if they're in a downswing from this I think they're they're looking more like we're gonna we're gonna contend to make the playoff most years, but to be like a on that same level as the Alabamas, the Georgias, this is where they have to do it. Because I think we haven't had a JJ McCarthy at quarterback. We just haven't. No. Um I, I personally think this is the most important Michigan game since the nineteen ninety seven bowl game where they ended up winning share the national championship. Because Michigan, especially with, you know, the whole scandal that has been going on, you know, so for two years, the whole thing was, you know, after we were looking back is, okay, was Michigan only good because of that? Well, they answered the question, uh, no, they weren't only good at that. They were, they're, they were Big Ten good. They, Michigan proved that without a doubt, they're Big Ten good. Mm-hmm. But the question is, can they now prove that they are nationally good? Can they prove that on a national stage, this program can actually do it? And I think this is such a pivotal year because if they, I don't think they have to necessarily win the championship, but if they can beat Alabama, I think Michigan right now, I I don't think there is any drop in Michigan's program with Sharon Moore as the head coach next year. I don't think. I think it's a machine that is set to keep running. I think Sharon Moore gets what's going on at Michigan right now. I think he knows exactly the kind of players that they need. I think he knows exactly what is still holding them back and he can maybe find solutions to take them to the next level. Um, But if, if Michigan were to let's, 
just hypothetical, if Michigan were to get dominated by Alabama with all the scandal hovering over them, with the potential that Harbaugh is going to be gone and all those things, not that Michigan is going to die off, but I think it, it could hurt them as that quote-unquote national brand in terms of who legitimately is competing for national championships every single year. Now, that, that could, they could easily still be proven on. This is just my perspective on things. Um, but I think this is a major game that Michigan has to win because you could argue Michigan is going into this game with more talent. You could argue Michigan is going into this game with a better quarterback. And you could argue Michigan is going into this game with a better defense. And so I, I, I think this is an absolutely crucial game that Michigan has to win. If they do, I think the dominance that they have over the Big Ten may not have just been the last few years. I think it could go potentially the lengths that Ohio State did for 17 years before <laughs> Michigan just... I'm, I'm being dead serious. If they won this game, I think it could carry over because look what it did for Ohio State. Now, it was, you know, Trestle's second year, which, yeah, this isn't Harbaugh's third year, but it's kind of the third year of this era. This Harbaugh era and the first five years of Harbaugh feel so much different, do they not? It's almost like having a different well, so coach. Brand new uh, coaching staff. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, look look what it did for Ohio State when they beat Miami. The, Ohio State was going 11-1 and one, pretty much minimum every year from that point on. Like, when they beat Miami, it changed everything. And then look what happened for Urban Meyer the rest of his time. At, at worst, he was going 12-2 and two with Big Ten championships and Sugar Bowls and Rose Bowls and everything like that. Michigan, I think, now has a chance to set themselves up with this win against Alabama. Now, if they do it for the national championship, that's even, that's even better. But if they can beat Bama here, I think this could set yourself up for, at minimum, the rest of the 2020s to be the team that runs the Big Ten. And every year, Michigan is the team that has looked at, there's your national championship competitor out of the Big Ten. I, I agree that it's definitely a, a huge domino. Um, it could be, you know, the, the spark that lights the powder keg. But at the same time, you laid it out there. There's so many unknowns. What is this NCAA investigation going to reveal? What's Harbaugh going to do? What's J.J. McCarthy going to do? Uh, a lot of that still to be determined. Uh, but, yeah, it, it is. I think you nailed it. It probably is the biggest game that Michigan has played. Since 1997, the Rose Bowl against Washington State. So uh, I think that's that's enough on Michigan and Alabama, unless you got something else. The, the only other thing I would say, you, you talked about some of the pros that Michigan has with the quarterback, the defense. These games are often won at the line of scrimmage. And this is a matchup that is tough for Michigan because Michigan likes to grind people down. They like to assert their will and dominance. It's going to be tough to do against against this SEC line. That Alabama offensive line might be built with the biggest humans I've ever seen. Their offensive tackles are like 360 pounds. It's insanity. So that, that's the only thing I'll say is that that's the battle I'll be watching is the battle at the line of scrimmage. The battle I'm actually going to be watching is which team's playmakers make a bigger difference. because. I don't think there's a big gap in this game. I think Michigan has the better running backs mm -hmm. than Alabama does. And 
while I think Alabama might have a, a little bit of a deeper wide receiver room, I think Roman Wilson is the best wide receiver in this game. I actually believe that. And I think because neither Burton or Isaiah Bond has like asserted themselves as like, oh, here's the clear number one target. I feel like they're kind of in tandem, right? They kind of just, they both make plays throughout games, but it's never like one individually, right? While I think Roman Wilson, if JJ was giving time and Michigan committed to the path, like Roman Wilson showed this year, like he's capable of making tough catches mm-hmm. and big catches and he can make separation. And because people can say what they want him against Iowa, their defense looked incredible. It's a shame that they can't even have like a Wisconsin level offense because they looked great. But there was one play in the Big Ten Championship, I think it was third down, where Michigan ran a play where they put some motion to get some guys out. Mm-hmm. And Roman Wilson ran out seven yards. And then that CB was right on him. And the moment he turned, there was massive separation. It was against one of Iowa's best secondaries or secondary players. And so uh, Roman Wilson has the capability of doing that. But it comes back to you, the line. Can the line give JJ time? But I'm not necessarily sure that Alabama has the playmakers to break Michigan's defense. I don't think Mm -hmm. they do. How many wide receivers have gotten behind Michigan's defense? One time. It was Marvin Harrison Jr. And Will Johnson tackled him before he got, (laughs) before he even caught. And then Harrison still caught it. But legitimately, that, like, can you think of another play where you're like, man, Michigan secondary just got beat over top besides that Marvin Harrison play at the end of the first half? I mean, there, there's a few, just a handful, but usually they were in very low leverage moments, you know, mm-hmm. uh, end of games uh, against some of the non-con where some of the backs, backups are in. Or, and I remember one end of the half against exactly. Minnesota, uh, but that was a blowout. So nothing in a big game. The defense is exactly. pretty locked down. Exactly. So I, I actually believe that Michigan's playmakers are a little bit better set than Bama. But to me, the last matchup that comes up to is which quarterback can make more critical plays. Because here's the thing, Milrow and McCarthy can both extend plays with their legs. They mm-hmm. both can get first down and chunk yardage. Who's going to make the critical throws? There's going to be some third and 12 and third and 15s that matter in this game. So who's going to be the one that completes those? Keeps drives going. Stretches a defense with the ability to pass. I, I think it's the QB play and the playmakers that are the biggest difference in this game. But to tie it into what you said, yes, the line pressure can definitely make a difference. But I'm, I'm very curious which team, because I think either team is, I, I think either quarterback is going to have to go over 200 yards to win this game. I don't think either QB can go to 150 to 175 mm-hmm. and rely on the running game, because I think each run game might make plays, but these running games aren't going for 300 yards in this game. These running games are going to go for 125 to 150. So one of these QBs is going to have to throw over 200 yards in order for their team to win. Mm-hmm. That, that'll that be it. Can, can Milrow hit those deep shots? I mean, that's basically what he does. He hits the stuff behind the line of scrimmage. He hits the deep ball. Not a ton on the intermediate. Uh, so we'll see if Michigan can uh, can make that adjustment. adjustment. Michigan does not hit the deep ball, but they hit the intermediate pretty good, and they, they hit a lot of short stuff. So uh, we'll see which defense is able to lock down those key playmakers and which quarterback leads their team to a victory. Let's very quickly, because we are almost approaching an hour now, <laughs> take a look at the Sugar Bowl. Uh, I think 
while we admit that the Rose Bowl is probably the bigger matchup, this one's probably more fun, if we're honest. I mean, this is going to be fireworks, explosions. People will be screaming the whole time because <laughs> touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. It's going to hit you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm stoked for this game. I think both quarterbacks are probably set and ready to go over 300 yards and three touchdowns each. Mm-hmm. It's going to be so awesome. What are some of your first impressions with the Washington-Texas matchup? Uh, well, you said it. Lots of passing yards. I wonder if the over/under for combined passing yards is going to be five ninety nine point five. I'm very curious if that's the oh, over/under for give total me that passing over. yards in the game. Um, yeah, it's 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 going to be a big time quarterback showcase. Um, it's I mean the you could argue the best five or six wide receivers in the playoff or in this matchup. Yep, and I think each team is boasting three of them. Uh, <laughs> But the one thing that each of these team has that goes very underrated is a quality running game. Uh, as a Dylan Johnson at Washington, mm-hmm. he was kind of he kind of bruised against Oregon for a hundred yards. Yep. That made it good. And Jonathan Brooks has proven to be a great follow up to Bijan Robinson at Texas. So the first thing I have down is which game, which running game can best complement their passing game. Not that it has to be the better one, but which running game makes a big influence on the passing game? So does Washington get in a position where they just they have to be so worried about Brooks that they have to take some chances there? Or is it Texas that as great as Penix is in these receivers, you can't just let Dylan Johnson keep getting seven and eight yards a carry, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm very, very curious which running back is a bigger impact or which run game complements their passing game better. And uh, l- let me ask you, you were able to, to watch Oklahoma state and Texas, correct? A decent amount. Was, was that some of the most fun offensive play calling you've, you've seen in a while? I, Oof. I was amazed the, the design of the plays that they were able to call I, Sark. He, does he do his own play calling? He does. And he does a lot of his own play designing. I was, I I felt like I was witnessing a masterpiece, Mm -hmm. a, a a master painter in action. Just his Mona Lisa right there. Can he do that against Washington? Because that was just poetry in motion. And I was, I was in awe of it. And I think Sark was, I think Sark knew he had to because Sark had to play for the scenario where Florida State and Georgia both won. Michigan mm-hmm. and Washington both won. So there were four undefeateds. So he had to do what he could to try and leave no doubt that Texas would have been a better option than Florida State. And if if that had been the case, that if Georgia had won, that's what we would have gotten. I think Texas would have been fourth and Florida State would have been fifth based on what they did with Alabama. Um, and so I, I think Sark said, we're putting everything out there we need the committee to know exactly who we are right now and yeah sark put on a master class because it was i think it was 21 nothing and that's when i texted yep. the group osu actively eliminated from the college football <laughs> playoff when that happened uh, yeah quinn ewers had like approaching 300 yards in the first half mm-hmm. and none of that did i think was like oh quinn ewers is dealing i was like oh sark is dealing like he's yeah. throwing the guys 30 yards open yeah it was it was pretty crazy. So I'm, I'm very curious how Washington can handle that. Cause Washington's got a, 
a few NFL guys on their defense. Trice mm-hmm. is a great defensive end. He's nasty. Um, they've got a cornerback that's likely going second round, maybe third round. Can't remember his name, but so I mean, Washington's got guys capable of making plays on their defense. But I'm very, I'm very, very curious as well, which defense is available of getting critical stops. Which defense can force a couple punts and force a couple field goals? I think that's going to be massive. Um, can teams do that? Um, another thing that I also have for this game, though, I think all the pressure's on Texas. Why is that? It, the, first of all, the whole Texas is back thing. I think it's the stupidest thing out there, but I think it still exists. And I, I don't think you can say it till they win a playoff game and they're playing oh. for a national championship. But I don't buy. I don't buy that. I mean, like, because, like, I mean, yes, they're they're they are back to they being beat a contender. Bama, they made. They're back playoff. to being a contender. But but if you want to tell me they're back, they need to be in a national championship game, like Vince Young was, and like Colt McCoy was. You okay? will never. They're get starting quarterbacks. Vince Young. Their starting quarterbacks, though, got to national championship games. Quinn Ewers gets to a national championship game. I will then officially say Texas is back, but I will also admit that Texas is clearly a contender in what in a top five program going forward right now. I'm very comfortable saying that. Um, All right, but I, to me, I think there's I think Washington is playing with house money. They weren't supposed to go 13 and 0. They weren't supposed <laughs> to win the Pac-12 championship. They have more once one score wins than anyone else in the country. I think Washington, like Washington, is moving to the Big Ten. They could have easily still had an eight and four season that could have set them up for bad. They just set themselves up as the third best team in the Big Ten next year, behind Michigan and Ohio State. I don't know. I fully like, believe if that. Washington goes on. I mean, they could win the national title. They like, could. They might they enter could. as the best. And, and a quick and a quick antidote about this year's playoff. The one thing the committee did do well is this is the first year where all four teams could realistically win this thing. Any of these teams could win this national championship this year. I, I won't be surprised if Washington wins. I won't be surprised if Texas wins. I'm not going to be surprised if Michigan wins it. I also won't be surprised if Alabama wins it. I think any of these four teams could win this national championship. But I, I, I think Washington. I think Washington has the ability to play a lot more carefree. Because the other thing that is on pressure for Texas is Steve Sarkeesian. Steve Sarkeesian is playing the school where he started out his head coaching career. He's now yeah. playing against Washington. And I think that's something that hasn't gotten talked about enough is Sark is going against his old school where he used to coach at. I think that's massive. Sark has also been had a lot of turmoil up and down in his personal life, in his career, and he's worked his way back up while Kalen DeBoer is just on the rise. His Kalen DeBoer's stock cannot be hurt by this game. But Sark could maybe level out instead of continuing to ascend mm-hmm. at this game. Cause the whole big thing is can Sark win the big games? Well, he did do it against Alabama. He finally got that big time win, but now can he do it when it means more than anything else in a playoff? So I, per- I personally believe all the pressure is on. I personally believe the pressure is on Texas. I think Washington is playing with house money. Well, it's a, it's probably going to be one of the, the most explosive games uh, of this bowl season. Uh, before we talk about any other bowl games, was there anything you wanted to get out there on the Sugar and the Rose Bowl? I, I dude, I'm not close. I want to. I, I wanted to make predictions. I'm not even. I'm not close enough for that. I cannot no, make predictions yet. I think both these games are. 
I think both these I think both these games could be one score games easily. Maybe even three point games. Uh, man, both, I think these games are gonna be so good. Both of these games obviously have instant classic potential. What doesn't have instant classic potential is the rest of the bowl schedule. As a bowl truther, um, this is coming from a person who wishes they could attend the um, the the Motor City Bowl or not the Motor City, but which the Quick Lane Bowl in, in Detroit. I would attend that every year if I could. I love bowl season, yet the other matchups are not great this year. I feel like they matched up teams based on what would cause the least amount of interest. Even the uh, what do you call them? The New Year's Six Bowl games. Mm-hmm. Man, I feel like they really whiffed on these matchups. Yeah. So we we got to talk about a couple of them, highlight the ones that do stand out. But overall, kind of a rough uh, stretch. Maybe they did that on purpose to funnel attention to the playoff, which is going to be fantastic. But uh, what bowls do you want to to point out to highlight that, hey, we, we better pay attention. This could be a good one. So I've got down a list of bowls that I think could be entertaining and the potential headline for them. However, I think there is only one bowl game that has actual consequences or things to gain for the teams that are in it, like legitimate, like it could change things for these programs. And I think it's Ohio state, Missouri. Interesting. In the Cotton Bowl. Okay. And for me, because I think in this game, Missouri has everything to gain and Ohio state has everything to lose. And I'm actually going to focus for a quick sec on Missouri before we get to Ohio state, Missouri for the past few years, or I can't remember how long Drinkowitz has been there, but everyone's been like, Oh, he's kind of a nice coach. Missouri's kind of a plucky program. You know, they got to a couple bowl games in a row. They had that game in 2022 where they had Georgia beat until they gave up until the end of the, the end of the game. Um, and then this year they go 10 and two and their two losses are LSU and Georgia national champs in the last four years and mm-hmm. everyone else they beat, they took care of business handily. And so Missouri kind of has a chance to, to make a statement of like, we're a program now. And in the SEC, you know, when you look at the SEC East, it's Georgia, then it's Missouri. Like they've got a chance to really put themselves high up this board. Cause you got to think, cause I'm fairly confident the SEC still has divisions next year. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm decently confident in it, but that may have changed. But I know when Texas and Oklahoma first were added, they had the intentions of keeping divisions. I haven't checked on it or heard since then, but if that is the case, Missouri gets Georgia at home next year. And when you look at how many players are in the transfer portal, Missouri goes out there and beats Ohio state. They could get a lot of guys in the portal and they could maybe get some recruits coming in. Even if it's not divisions, I still think they're set up as one of the top five teams in the sec going forward in a 16 team conference. And I think to be a top five team in the sec is basically to be nearly guaranteed a playoff berth every year in a 12-team playoff. Uh, Just look this up. No divisions next year for the SEC. So even with that, if Missouri cemented themselves as the top four team in the SEC going forward, Mm -hmm. that's basically – because in my honest opinion, with these new divisions, like at minimum, eight teams will come out of the SEC and Big Ten going forward every year. 
Eight teams. Because uh, one year, because one year, one year, it could, one year it could be five SEC teams and three Big Ten teams, or potentially even the other year. Yeah, but what happens right. if Oregon and Washington continue their momentum, and Michigan, Ohio State do what they are, and then Penn State is there? If all five of those teams are finishing ten and two, like they're all in the playoff, probably. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, I want to kind of dig in on the cotton just a little bit, but you said that was the only one that really matters. I disagree. I think there is only one that matters, and it's the Orange Bowl. The Orange Bowl is Florida State taking on Georgia. Now, I said earlier, Georgia, most likely still, in my opinion, the best team in the country. They had a bad game against Bama. Florida State, undefeated. If Florida State is able to win this game, which is a tall task because I think that they the wind is completely out of their sails and they're probably going to have some opt-outs, and uh, <laughs> it's it's going to be probably ugly by the time we actually get to this game. But if they were to win, there is going to be a swelling of support for AP voters, maybe some coaches, depending on who wins the college football playoff, to vote Florida State number one. And how poetic would it be for Michigan – their last national title in 1997, a split national title between the AP and coaches with Nebraska to have another controversial championship where Florida state is ranked number one in the AP poll after defeating Georgia. I could honestly see this happening now, right now I think Georgia probably is going to smack Florida state because Florida State doesn't have a lot of reason to play. They, they, they lost their purpose. But there is a world, there is a timeline where this happens. And if it did, things could get pretty wacky. And uh, they say history repeats itself if Michigan was to finally get that national title. Uh, of course, of course it would be split. They would have the college football playoff title. And Florida State's going to claim their own. It's, I mean, that is possible, but two things. One is the, is being voted number one as in the AP, even a recognized national championship or is it a self-claimed? It, it will be now. Uh, what in the past it used to be the AP and coaches were the two main, basically determiners of your national ta- uh, champion. Now it is determined through the playoff, but I think if Florida state was ranked number one in the AP, that they would for sure claim it. And the majority of people with the AP being the premier voting structure of how we rank teams. I mean, until the playoff starts their rankings in like week nine, the AP rankings are what you see on your television. They are, but in my There's personal going to opinion, be the AP, 75 the AP percent of people who are going to say Florida state is a split nationals champion with Michigan or with Washington or with Texas. I think the only team that probably is going to get the benefit of the doubt would be Bama because uh, there's just a little bit of that SEC bias, I think. Do we think Florida State would really do that, though? Because this is a team that actually wins legitimate national championships. It's not like UCF back in 2017 Four, where they were with a, win a group of five. Over Georgia? Over Georgia. Yeah, but two-time back-to-back defending champions. Half of Georgia is about to opt out of this game. There's legitimately now you can let you can actually bet on how many opt outs are going to be in this game. There is actual like <laughs> over unders for this game that are above ten 
and how many people are going to opt out. So yes, I agree with the premise that you are painting. I do not think that's going to be the case at all. I think anyone who is sniffing third round or higher on these two teams in the NFL is not playing in this game. I think you are going to see second and third strings all over the place in this game. This is not going to be neither of their teams at their peak. I'm actually expecting it to be a rather ugly game that Georgia still ends up winning. Um, Cause there's a chance Carson Beck goes pro this year. I think there's a legitimate chance he's been around for a little bit. He might just go pro. So I, 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 I just, like I said, like that there is that, but I don't buy into it because I have zero respect for the AP poll in general, because the AP poll is basically made up of people who just read headlines and make their votes and rankings based Agreed. on headlines and like just seeing score numbers. So uh, I, I place zero value in that AP poll and I, place zero value in the orange bowl unless unless if both these teams bring everyone together then you can throw everything out i'm saying right now but i honestly believe that each team is going to have at least five opt-outs hey all, all i'm saying is you put forward the cotton bowl and ohio state might have more opt-outs than florida state and georgia combined mm-hmm. we'll see <laughs> but but for me but for me like the the orange bowl does not have any consequence on florida state or oregon as a program going forward Georgia. But this is this is Missouri's chance to, as I kind of said with Michigan, yeah, this is Missouri's game. chance to get a big win outside of the SEC blueprint, and this is a chance for Ohio State to stop the sinking ship right well, now. L- let me let me interject. This gives me twenty twenty one Rose Bowl vibes for Ohio State. Now I. Th- I think I remember talking to you before that game and you said you did not care about that game. Now it just so happens that CJ Stroud threw for 500 yards and uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba had like 300 yards and it kind of reignited Ohio state in a way. Mm-hmm. But before that game, Ohio state fans, I don't think they were going to, if they lost, we're going to panic. Isn't that kind of the same? Like if you have a million opt outs and you lose to Missouri, does that really matter? I don't there's think different, so. There's, there's, I think there's a major difference, though, because... You're not going to have a quarterback. In, the, in, in, the, in that Rose Bowl, though, we... Okay, let's see Emeka Abuka. Let's see Marvin Harrison Jr. Like, there were young guys to highlight. Stroud was a young quarterback. It was the first time in a while. Like, we, like Ohio State still had a lot of things going for him, but we just went, you know, 11-1. and one. We lost to Michigan. Our quarterback is gone. We don't really know who it is. We could lose a lot of pieces to the NFL, and we have tons of transfers. Now, something that actually made me feel a little bit better that I saw – well, I'll, I'll save this point when we actually get to the transfer portal. I'll kind of stick to this game. That I, I, think, I think Ohio State's in a different situation than we were after that – in that 2021 Rose Bowl. So, yeah, to me, to me it's – because because right now, because that was just the beginning of like Ohio State being the Big Ten champion, going to the playoff every single year. Yeah, we lost to Michigan, but we weren't in danger. Like we still thought we were going to come back next year and beat Michigan, which, you know, everything was going great until the second half of that game. Uh, so, but th- this feels different because the whole time is, okay, is Ryan Day kind of losing his cool a little bit? You know, like is he, is Ryan Day breaking down? Is Ryan Day kind of kept is Ryan day capable of this? Does Ryan day have a legitimate culture that players want to be about? And at a program like Ohio state, you like, we've seen guys leave, but not like this, not like this. Now the transfer portal has never been like this, but at the same time, like 
it hasn't happened like this. And, you know, we've got guys leaving like Julian Fleming, who would be our number one receiver next year, but yet he's leaving. So anyways, I, I, I think Ohio state has a lot to lose if, if they don't win this game, especially if, oh, especially if let's say Missouri goes out there and wins by 17 points in <laughs> Michigan and Ohio state was like never in control of this game. That Ryan day seat would be on fire, like blue fire as hot as can be. <laughs> That's surprising to me. It's just, I mean, we're looking at the, the transfer portal. You have a ton of starters going out. I mean, guys that are looking for a fresh start, uh, you're, you're going to be without your quarterback. I am assuming right now that you're probably not going to have your starting running back. Marv, there's no reason for him to play this game. We're not sure about Igbuka. Yeah. I, the, offensively, honestly, I think you're probably going to, the one unit that's probably going to be untouched is your offensive line, which yes. has not been a strength for you. Defensively, we'll see. No, but they're not a weakness either, you know? I'm just saying, I mean, your skill positions is where you make your money at Ohio State. They're all going to most likely not be playing. A lot of them have already declared that they're in the portal. I just don't know how you can make a sweeping judgment based on, to me, it feels like a spring game. Like, hey, let's see what our freshman wide receiver can do. Yeah. What bowl game isn't anymore, though? That's what every bowl game that, is That's now. why bowl I'm games are exhibitions. The, to see how big of a consequence you seem to think it has on Ohio State. See, now this might bring in a whole new team next year. I know. And it, and it might be me feeling the personal things, but like it's different. Like it, it feels like Ohio State could go from a team that was competing nationally to can we even compete at the top of our own conference? That's what it's starting to feel like. Um, because Penn State keeps getting closer and closer every year. So, um, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. But I will say every year, because of what we bring in for wide receivers, when we don't make the playoff, I'm actually genuinely excited to like see what our new wide receivers are like. I hope Jalen, I hope Jaden Ballard, Carnell Tate, and Brandon Innes are kind of the three receivers that are the highlight of this game. I really hope that's the case. And talking about Marvin Harrison, uh, as of right now, he is going through all bowl practices. That's the plan. That's insane. I I think if he I actually he Marvin Harrison is an interesting guy. Marvin Harrison personality wise kind of reminds me of Bryce Young. Like very quiet, very easygoing. He's a he's a big team player, but he's crazy talented. And Bryce Young played in that Sugar Bowl last year when there was no reason for him to do it. I'm actually not going to be surprised if Marvin Harrison Jr. plays in the cotton bowl. Cause I just now at the same time, I'm also not going to be surprised if he opts out because depending on who's picking, he could go number one. Yeah. <laughs> like if, if the, because like if the bears end up with the number one pick again and they decide they're still committing to Justin Fields and they want to get him more talent, they're probably, they're probably drafting him and the wide receiver from Washington with their first, with their first picks and just beefing up that wide receiver room. Um, so yeah, it's I, not going to shock me. The one who I actually am the most interested is a Mecca Abuka. I think he's the biggest question mark of all of this. I actually think Travion Henderson is going to play too. I, I I actually expect Henderson to play. Marvin Harrison, I think there's a chance. Abuka is the interesting one 
because he does have a first round grade, but he's not the number two wide receiver like he was before the season started because yeah. of his injury. And so, because before his injury, he actually had more yards than Harrison. Yeah, no, he so, was, uh, he, he has been fantastic. He's mm-hmm. one I can so, actually see coming back. I would, I think Henderson should try to go pro. I think he showed enough. He's got the film and he has been fragile. Yeah. So he has been be fragile if he, if he plays in this game. Exactly. Especially because this is not a big running back class. So it yeah. actually does make a lot of sense for Henderson to go pro, but I don't know. Like there's, there's a, 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 like I said, there's, there's no real credibility, but there's, there is a lot of rumors going around that with a lot of these juniors that can go pro this year is it is very unsettling to them that they have not beaten Michigan. And I'm actually very curious how much, how like we're, we're, we're going to learn very much Brandon because back in the seventies, eighties and nineties, if you were Owen three against Michigan, didn't matter what happened. You were coming back, right? Mm-hmm. You were coming back to plead the rival. And so I think we're really going to learn. Does that still have power? Like, is the rivalry still as big as it was back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and maybe even 2000s? Are players staying to beat them? Because Chad Henney could have went pro. Mike Hart could have went pro. But they were 0-3 against Ohio State. They had to come back and try. And unfortunately for them, it still didn't happen. But So I'm curious about Abuka, the defensive ends, the defensive – because all four of Ohio State starters on the defensive line – are juniors. They're all juniors. Mm-hmm. Beck, Abuka, Harrison, Henderson, Stover. They all they all have another year of eligibility if they want it. They all have it. And so I am very curious how much pull does not beating Michigan have for them. In today's culture, especially Harrison, you're crazy if you don't go pro. <laughs> but selfishly, of course I would like for them to stay because unless Marvin Harrison Jr. ends up on the Cleveland Browns, I'm not going to have that much emotional tie to him. However, I won't lie. I am, man, I, am I rooting for C.J. Stroud every single week? Like, I am actively looking, can I watch C.J. Stroud play this week? I watch him more than I watch the Browns. <laughs> well, Stroud has been uh, been fantastic and it's been neat to see a quarterback finally get the ball to Nico Collins because he has had that juice for a long time, and yeah. he's he's dominating. So is yep. there any other bowl games you want to shout out before we get into the transfer portal? All right, I'm going to shout out uh, just five more bowl games, and all I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask you one simple question about those games, and you give me one simple answer about is this a valid question or not. So first of all, Ole Miss, Penn State, New Year's Six Bowl. Does this matter on the recruiting trail to get a victory here for either of these teams based on their position in their conference? I'll say no. I don't think that you don't think it has any lot. consequence. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think those two those two teams' biggest games uh, came in their conferences, and they they're not climbing the ladder based on a victory over Penn State or Ole Miss. Ole Miss needed to beat Bama. Ole Miss needed to beat Georgia. Penn State needed to beat Michigan and Ohio State. So it's a it's a game that everyone's going to watch. I don't think a lot of conclusions are going to be built off this game. Oregon Liberty. Does this say more about Liberty if they win or more about Oregon if they lose? Um I'd say more about Liberty. That they're legit. 
I think so. What, they got like three losses in the last two years or like last three years or something like that? Undefeated this year. So yeah. And then I think they had two losses last year or like one loss last year and two the year before. Uh, I think that. Uh, Oregon State and Notre Dame is the loser sent spiraling after this game. Uh, well, Oregon State, I think, is spiraling no matter what because the Pac-2 has joined the Mountain West, basically. They have their mm-hmm. agreement in place. So Oregon State, a win doesn't do much for them, I don't think. Uh, Notre Dame is kind of spiraling already. They've had a lot of transfer portal departures. They might get a big one coming in in uh, Riley Leonard from Duke. But the loser, is are they spiraling? Eh, no more than they are now. Okay. Uh, two more. Arizona versus Oklahoma. I think this is a very Ooh, interesting yeah. matchup. Um, could a win for either program change the trajectory of what they're doing? It could for Arizona. It can't for Oklahoma. Okay. Is Would this loss be detrimental for Oklahoma? Um, what is going to be detrimental for Oklahoma is if Jackson Arnold plays poorly. I don't think the win or loss is the big deal. Uh, mm-hmm. Dylan Gabriel enters the portal. Jackson Arnold, the five-star freshman, is going to start this game. And if he comes in and lights it up, Oklahoma is now entering SEC play next year saying, we've got our guy, we've got a foundation, we are ready to compete in 2024. If Jackson Arnold goes out there and he looks a little bit shell-shocked, he's not seeing the field, he's making bad throws, well, unfortunately, Oklahoma's going to have a lot of question marks, and they're going to feel pretty scared about their future in the SEC. So that's the biggest thing. Can our new quarterback take over? Uh, Dylan Gabriel's really good this year, so mm-hmm. I'm really watching. Can he pick up, take up the mantle and keep it going? Last game I have, Louisville versus USC. Okay. Could this be the end of Lincoln Riley? Hmm. I don't think a win or loss is too big for him. I think for what he needs to do is just figure out defense and uh, how he's going to compete in the Big Ten. I don't think you answer that question. But, the, but here's Louisville. the thing: they're about they're about to go into the Big Ten, and what if Caleb Louisville buries playing, them? Though. Even even with them though, like you like without Caleb Williams, we're now going to get a better look at what kind of program Lincoln Riley really has out there at USC. And what if Louisville buries them? So for me, I don't think that means that that just means he's gone because of the loss. However, I think if from the loss, I think if USC found another coach that they felt was a better fit for it, aka as much as I hate to say this. If they threw oodles of cash at Urban Meyer and he was willing to take that, I mean, it, it, it feels like that's one of the programs that Urban would go to is USC. I, I don't understand the rush to uh, get Lincoln Riley out. He immediately elevated USC, and his his history offensively is undeniable. So literally all you have to do is get this man to make the right hire on defense. What if, just bear with me here. What if you threw two and a half million dollars? This is the kind of money that no coordinator touches at Phil Parker in Iowa. 
immediately your defense is fixed. Possibly. And you have a Lincoln-Riley offense mm-hmm. on the other side. Okay, maybe you can't get Phil Parker because he's an Iowa lifer. For some reason, yeah. he has sworn a blood oath to serve the Ferentz family. They saved him, you know, 30 years ago, and now he owes them a Wookiee life debt. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can't you can't fight that. You were the one who texted me this. Go get Jim Leonard. Mm. He's just a well, he's we we're saving him in case Jim Knowles <laughs> leaves. So okay. don't you dare talk about he, Jim he, Leonard. That is reserved for Ohio he, State and Ohio State only. He's your safety coordinator, but if Lincoln Riley is to make a decent defensive coordinator higher, it's not impossible. USC okay. can still compete, and I don't think that that is going to be determined in a bowl game that I think doesn't matter against Possibly, Louisville. But, but it's going to matter US, more to Louisville than USC. Maybe, but when you say USC is in a better place, it's are they really? Because Clay Helton won a Rose Bowl. <laughs> like Clay Helton won a Rose Bowl, and I'm pretty sure he has another US uh, New Year's Six Bowl win as well, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, are they really actually in a better position, or do they just have better is just Lincoln Riley been better at the positions that matter, but the team is still not better. Just so I don't know. Anyways, that's just, we'll get past that. <laughs> is that, is that all you got for bowl games? Yeah. I got one more. My sicko brain. Stu- I was going to say, this is going to be stupid, isn't it? Cannot wait on new year's day. 1 PM. The citrus bowl. Irresistible force meet immovable object the tennessee volunteers (laughs) take on the iowa hawkeyes this is explosive offense killer lockdown defense putrid offense not very good defense this is the sicko bowl game of the year and i cannot wait this is going to be the appetizer this is going to be the opener for the college football playoff I'm sure maybe there's some other New Year's games you are going to want to watch, but my eyes are not going to leave that Citrus Bowl screen because I can't wait to see Tennessee try to pick apart. Can they do to Iowa's defense what I thought Michigan should have been able to do? We'll find out. Phil Parker's going to say no. What can Josh Heupel cook up? I'm, I'll am i be there. January 1st, cannot wait. Citrus Bowl, give it to me. I only have one thing to say about this game. 7.5 over under for turnovers in this game. Where are you going? <laughs> that that's a hefty number. I'll say under, but the the real I over, mean, let's <laughs> The real over under should be defensive scores uh which maybe you could put it like 1.5. Uh, and that that might be a might be an over. Let's see. I, I don't know. I tell you what. It might not be pretty, but I'll be there taken in every second all right well we've been going for a little while but i think at the same time we need to make sure to give this one it's due but let's start talking about the transfer portal and i think there's a lot of things to get into but i think no matter where where you talk to anyone there is a clear number one not in terms of best player but in terms of storyline definitely surrounding kyle mccord right now having entered his name into the transfer portal after going Mm -hmm. 11 and one and against Michigan, he had a chance for a game winning drive. You know, it wasn't like Ohio state was buried. Like they were the two years with CJ Stroud. He had a chance to win. And so before I get into it, because you know, it's my team more of that, I actually want to hear from 
you first. And I guess I got a few questions that I want to try and answer to see if you have, if you've pinpointed anything, but why, why do you leave? <laughs> uh, I think he probably left. This is, this is my deduction that most likely Ryan day had a conversation with him and said, if you want to stay and compete, you're welcome to, but we're bringing in a transfer quarterback and there will be an open battle. And I think McCord saw that as writing on the wall to say, I am going to find somewhere that I'm going to be guaranteed a spot to start. Uh, is that the right direction to go? That's the question to ask. Because who's on the market now? Are they going to be a marked upgrade over McCord? McCord has a year in the system. I guess I would counter with, do you think it's possible that Ohio State bailed on McCord too quickly? Could he have made a large jump in year two as the starter? Honestly, yes. I think um, so, yeah. That doesn't mean that Ohio State still can't upgrade in the transfer portal, but I have been very, very nervous about that. And we kind of highlighted this the last pod, that if we replace Kyle McCord, you better have a clear upgrade ready to go, right? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I mean, the rumors are that uh, the name I'm hearing the most from legitimate uh, journalists, you know, networks here in Columbus, Ohio, the name you hear the most is Cameron Ward. That is the name that is going around the most. But Riley Leonard started popping up a little bit today as well. Uh, but you got to have someone better to replace it. And uh, Cameron Ward was fifth in the nation in passing yards this year. And I'm pretty sure besides Colorado, he took more sacks than any other QB this year. So it makes you wonder if you put him behind that competent offensive line could be. Um, but yes, I am very much worried that Ohio State actually doesn't get better at quarterback here. That what would Kyle McCord have been like if he learned how to read a defense a little better, if his accuracy improved, if his pace and being able to deliver the ball improved. Like I genuinely do under I do wonder what would have happened. But I also wonder if Ryan Day evaluated and was like, okay, Kyle McCord had Harrison, Abuka. Fleming, Stover. Uh, Harrison, Abuka, Stover, likely off to the NFL, and Fleming is transferring. I wonder if Ryan Day said, you know what? If I have young receivers, that's great. But if I have young receivers, Kyle McCord is not the QB built to get them going. Look at C.J. Stroud. Stroud went from Wilson, Alave, and Smith, and Jigba to those three we just talked about. Obviously, with Stroud, we didn't miss a beat. He was ready to deliver the ball. But was Kyle McCord ready for that? And I think one of the other things that's very clear is if you don't have a quarterback that can make plays with their legs, and sometimes that's even just getting out of the pocket and making a big run on the throw, Kyle McCord never once did that this year. Like mm -hmm. Kyle McCord had to be in step, in rhythm, everything going right for him to make it. So maybe Ryan Day looked at it because this is a tough standard to lift up to. But let's be honest, Justin Fields is probably his standard. Even though C.J. Stroud was a better passer, and we're seeing that in the NFL, if you look at what they did in college, Justin Fields really is the standard. Because Fields only had two losses. He had 
Clemson in 2019, which is basically like saying Voldemort at this point. And then he also had Alabama in that national championship, which that Alabama team was God level. Like just like Justin Fields wasn't really touched when he was in college. Like Ohio State, besides the two losses they took, Ohio State was just so much better than every team they played because of mm-hmm. Justin Fields. And so I do believe that now that's Ryan Day's standard is who is Justin Fields like? And not I'm not saying that Cameron Ward is going to be as good as Justin Fields, but I think he does things that that Ryan Day gets reminded of Justin Fields. And I think that's kind of the standard of what he wants in a quarterback going forward. It's quite quite the the change in tone. Uh, the the morning we got the news that McCord was in the transfer portal in the Jonesing for Sports Discord, we we sent out a message asking for our resident Buckeye's response, his reaction. And I believe your words were when I saw Kyle McCord entered the portal I worshiped Jesus because you were so thankful that that man would no longer be your quarterback. And now, now we're feeling a little nervous. Hey, uh, casting crowns told us best. I'll praise you in the storm. So, uh, <laughs> you know, even, even when things get hard, you got to find reasons too. I think that, I think, I think there is some truth to that. And I think there is just some fear because yes, Kyle McCord was not the standard at all that we are used to at Ohio state quarterbacks. And I desire something more, but I'm also very hesitant. Like what if we take an even further step back, but at the same time, the kind of the safety net is air Nolan next year, which it's like, okay, even if we don't get anyone in, we can't get him. It's like, let's just throw air Nolan in there with these receivers. And let's just see, let's just wing it. Let's see what happens. So, um, but yes, I mean, like there, half of me is like, we need to move on from Kyle McCord. And the other half is like, I, what, what if we actually don't get anything better? What if Kyle McCord in an off season was still actually the best option compared to any of these other quarterbacks? So, but I don't know. You never know what someone does in a change of location. Penix was just always that nice Q, that good QB at Indiana, to he went to Washington and might win a Heisman Trophy. So yeah. you never know what a certain player can do in a change of location. Yeah, and with with McCord, it's, it's so tough because he will make a pass that will make your jaw drop. Against Michigan, he, he had a couple back shoulder throws that it, only his guy was getting that ball. It was perfectly placed. And then he makes the ones that make you shake your head. The interception that Will Johnson uh, jumped in front of Marvin Harrison, uh, the last interception, I don't fault him too much for with the pressure, but throughout the season, he had a few where you're like during the Michigan game, I basically just in my head said he does not have it. And you have to find a quarterback who has it, but who's to say McCord in another year of comfort in the system couldn't get it because his tools, the ability to throw the ball, with accuracy, uh, he's got a good arm. I'm, the guy has got – he's a five-star quarterback as a recruit for a reason. He might have been able to get it. So I'm not sure if they didn't move on him a little too quick. I guess we'll kind of see how his story plays out. Uh, sounds like he might be headed for Miami, which I don't like for him. Uh, it seems like where quarterbacks go to die. But So that's uh, what I was going to ask you. Where is he going next? That's the last question. I, I've seen him connected to Miami, which I, I hope that, you know, for his sake, it'll work out better than 
you know, Tyler Van Dyke was a guy yeah. who had, he had first round mock drafts with him being in the top half of it. And uh, it, it did not work out for him at Miami. So hopefully it'll work better for McCord, but yeah, it sounds like to we'll me see. that you're basically ready to move off of even Devin Brown, who he was a high rated recruit too in your quarterback room. I see, I don't know which quarterback I want to play this bowl game. If I want to see Devin Brown or Lincoln Kineholds, I'm actually not certain. Most people that I've talked to are like, Oh, I want Kineholds to be the QB in this, but I don't know. I would, I think I would like to see Devin Brown. We got to know like Kineholds is the true freshman. He's got time. Even with Aaron Nolan coming in, he has a chance to win the battle next year, but I, th- I think Devin Brown kind of deserves this opportunity to get this game, um, but we'll see. Um, I've got another section where I've got a bunch of basically QBs, but also Julian Fleming as well, and where we think they're going to head. So I'm, I'm, it's interesting that you said you thought the uh, Corp was going to Miami. I think that'd be stupid if he did. Um, there were conflicting reports today. One was that McCord doesn't want to go anywhere that he has to compete with Ohio State, but okay. he doesn't want to do that. But there was another report that came out that he was meeting with Nebraska's quarterback coach. And Nebraska goes to Columbus next season. So um, ultimately, though, I've decided to hedge my bet that McCord is going to go to Florida State and replace Jordan Travis. That'd be a nice spot. Mm-hmm. That's 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 what that's like I said, I've there's not this this is just me just like it's almost like, cause I've got a whole bunch of quarterbacks listed here and where I think they're going to go. I'm mostly just trying to put them where I think they're the best fit. And also, you know, once guys go, you know, where else could they possibly fall? Um, but yes, I'm putting, I'm putting him at Florida state uh, to kind of get that part going. I actually want to touch on the other Ohio state player before we highlight all these other quarterbacks, Julian Fleming, where do you think he mm-hmm. lands or where do you think he should go? Hmm. That's tough. Uh, I think it would be not a bad spot for him. Uh, I mean, he's from Pennsylvania. He could go to Penn State. Uh, he could also – I a spot I would like would be Washington because you're still going to get those Big Ten games, but Washington's going to graduate Odunze. Uh, I'm assuming that McMillan and um, – who's the other guy I'm forgetting? Polk. And Polk, they're, they're probably going to NFL too. Uh, maybe one of them stays, but mm-hmm. he could be the number one or, or two receiver at Washington in a proli- prolific offense. I'm actually, I am surprised that he's not staying at Ohio State. But I am too. I think that one really, some, that one really caught me off guard. There's some really good options for him. As a Michigan fan, I would take him. Uh, yeah. We are very low. We're going to graduate Cornelius Johnson. Roman Wilson will be. He has eligibility, but I think he'll be definitely moving on. And uh, we're going to be moving up some freshmen, sophomores, I guess maybe one or two juniors that have not played. To get a Julian Fleming, we'd have a a sure-handed veteran that could be our number one. So I would take him in a heartbeat at Michigan. I don't foresee that happening because uh, if you're a receiver transfer, you're probably not coming to Michigan. So uh, he's got options, though. And I'm kind of trying to follow the trends. There is a part of me that wondered, would he follow Kyle McCord where he went? Because Keon Coleman's going to go pro from Florida I mean, he had a pretty bad year. I wouldn't follow McCord. 
No, he wouldn't. And the other rumors are that Kyle McCord wasn't very well received in the locker room, really outside of Harrison and Henderson, that those were kind mm-hmm. of the only two guys that really had their backs because they came in as freshmen together and those three were kind of a close group. That uh, apparently Abuka is not even the biggest fan of McCord. Um, but I like if, if you're just a wide receiver trying to go make a name and you want to be in an offense, uh, I would not be shocked at all if Julian Fleming went to USC and just said, oh, okay. let's just let's just get in a pass first offense. Even if there's one or two other receivers there, the third receiver still always gets theirs under Lincoln Riley. Uh, but I imagine he would probably be the number two receiver just compared to Brendan Rice uh, out there. So, uh, yeah, I, I could see him going to USC. It's just, you know, that's a place where a quarterback or a wide receiver goes if they want a lot of attention. Uh, I'll follow up with this one mostly because I believe it, but Cameron Ward, where would you put him? And not about where do you not about where are you worried about him or where is that? Just where's no. where's the fit? I honestly haven't thought about it too much. Uh, okay. I, I he's coming from Washington State, so he almost can't go to Washington, but Washington would be a good fit for him. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it'd be a, a similar fit to to what Penix is doing. Uh, Oregon needs a guy. If Ohio State's pursuing. That's, that's a phone call you have to answer because the track record for quarterbacks, I think uh, if that's probably option one if they really want you that badly. But I haven't seen – like you're, you're saying there's a connection. I haven't heard a lot of smoke about Ohio State with Ward other than that they were interested. But usually, like kind of with Riley Leonard, there was almost an immediate like, oh, he's going to Notre Dame. I haven't heard a lot of, oh, Cameron Ward's going to Ohio State. 11 Warriors has reported on a couple times and 11 Warriors is not the end all be all. I don't die on that hill, but they're fairly accurate and 11 Warriors doesn't report on it unless it's reputable sources. They're not the ones that break information, but they will talk about what they hear in the rumor mill and 11 Warriors on three different articles now has been talking about Cam Ward. Uh, There was also now this doesn't necessarily have any credibility, but uh, earlier today, um, Ryan Clark uh, did tweet out that Cameron Ward was going to Ohio State and he had to delete it immediately. Um, hmm. So, or it might have even been yesterday. I can't remember, but that happened and Ryan Clark had to delete it. There's screenshots of it that are still around, but he was talking about Cam Ward going to Ohio State. Uh, so that is where I'm I'm going to place him. I do think we're the best fit because, like I said, he was fifth in passing yards in the country. So I I think he fits. We want to sling the ball around, but he's got that mobility that we need, not just for um, our quarterback, but also because it helps the running game. When you think about what J.K. Dobbins was in 2019, once he had Justin Fields as his quarterback. And you could also compare J.K. Dobbins in 2017 to when J.T. Barrett was the quarterback. But the moment you had Haskins, Dobbins wasn't the same. So I think think he makes a – I think he elevates Ohio State. Not the same way Justin Fields did, but I think he still makes it right. better. Well, it, it'll come down to how he is coached and developed. Uh, to be honest, I, I don't know before all this a ton about Cameron Ward. So uh, I read a, a scouting report because I do know that there is that connection with Ohio State. And I was wondering, you know, if they were to get this guy, would he be, would he be a game changer for them? And the scouting report basically said, if you watch five minutes of Washington State, you might come away with a takeaway that Cameron Ward is the best player in the country. <laughs> if you watch 60 minutes of Washington State, you might wonder, 
if Cameron Ward is very good at all. The guy is, at least this year, kind of erratic. He can make one pass that you're amazed or a run. We're like, holy cow, this guy's electric. And then makes a play where you're just like, what are you doing? And so it would be up to Ohio State to harness and cultivate the good and weed out the bad. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see if if he's able to commit to Ohio State and what they're able to get out of him. So – I'll just kind of keep going down the list and kind of how they seem to be in terms of being a big quarterback name or not. Uh, so Riley Leonard, do you think there's even anywhere else he could go besides Notre Dame? I would say Ohio State. Any quarter, So he went in with a no-contact tag, which basically means in the portal you're telling coaches, don't contact me, I've made up my mind where I want to be. Which also is proof, right? Like there's tampering going on. These guys are talking to players before they even enter their name and they know where they're going. However, if Ohio State expresses in some way, hey, Riley Leonard, we we are interested in you. Ohio State is a better destination for quarterbacks than than Notre Dame, no doubt. It is. And Riley Leonard has those legs that Ohio State coaches and, and fans, they would love to see Riley Leonard suiting up for the Scarlet and Gray. I, I think he would be I think he'd be decent. I, I think in my opinion of Riley Leonard, I I don't know necessarily that he's better than McCord. I think he would be different than Kyle McCord. And maybe different is enough that to be better. Um but the one thing I'm very interested with Riley Leonard was because he was connected to Notre Dame last week. Mm-hmm. Like last week Riley Leonard was already getting this connection to Notre Dame. Then their top three receivers opted for the transfer portal. Yeah. So I still have Riley Leonard down here for Notre Dame, just based on what's that. But I, I do wonder if that changed things for him. If it was like Notre Dame is just a place I want to go, then it's you know what they're going away. Like let's see what Ohio, let's see what the chances at Ohio State. Uh, I wonder if that changed. So, but I still got him pegged for Notre Dame, and I think we both do. But OSU is kind of a backup. Um, Dylan Gabriel, where would you put him? Um. Honestly, I think he could play a very similar role to like Bo Nix at Oregon. Um, That's exactly where I have him. I had him at Oregon. But my question is, don't would would you pick Cam Ward over Dylan Gabriel? No, but you talking about like you talking about Ohio State or Oregon? Ohio State. I I think I'm at a point where I'm okay with either of them. Okay. I because, like like you you were pretty accurate about Cam Ward. I liked your evaluation of him. Um, I think Dylan Gabriel's not that different than Cam Ward. I think we kind of get the same. I think one's right-handed, one's left-handed. Uh, so I'd be I'd be fairly okay with either one of those quarterbacks. Um, I I watched a lot of Pac-12 football this year, so I know more what I'm getting in Cam Ward than Dylan Gabriel. I didn't really watch Dylan Gabriel much outside of the Texas game and the Mm -hmm. Oklahoma state game. And those are two very different Dylan Gabriels in that game. Uh, So, but you never know at a place like Ohio state, but to me, I think, I think the short list of OSU QBs of who I, of who I think would be an upgrade from McCord are the three that we've said right there. I think if we got Cam Ward, Dylan Gabriel, or Riley Leonard, which I would be shocked if we couldn't get one of those three quarterbacks. But uh, I think those are the three QBs where I think they're kind of in, I think they're tier one in -hmm. transfer QBs available this year. I'd put McCord in tier two. Uh, I think, I think these guys are tier one. So 
What about uh, uh, Dante Moore? That's the beginning of tier two. Um, I, I'm very, I'm very, very split on him. I, if, if, see where these guys. So where the first domino falls, I think will very much affect where people go. So I think who Ohio State takes is going to start a domino effect. So for me, I think Dante Moore's best option is Oregon. But if Oregon ended up taking Dylan Gabriel, which I've already put that, you know, I can't, so I have to assign somewhere else. I think Dante Moore's next spot is Michigan State. I think that's where he would end up. Because besides you, because after he went to UCLA, Oregon and Michigan State were the two teams that were really high on him in recruiting. Now, yes, it's a different staff at Michigan State, but it's a much better staff at Michigan State now. Um, so I, 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 if, if, if Oregon filled up, like if Dylan Gabriel went out there or if even Cam Ward went out there at Oregon, uh, I think if that filled up, uh, I would like because of the way I have that, I'm going to put Dante Moore going to Michigan State. And I think it could be part of them making their steps back up. But I won't acknowledge the fact that Oregon is a great place for Dante Moore to be. Yeah, he he was previously committed to Oregon, so I definitely could see him going back there. Uh, he basically decommitted because Bo Nix returned. Yep. So with him out, out of the door, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I don't foresee a Michigan State connection. Uh, I think Dante Moore is he's leaving UCLA because he didn't feel – like he was being used well, and I don't think he saw a future of success. And Michigan State is going to be a build. There's no doubt about it. There's going to be a huge transfer portal exodus and a lot of turnover. I think Dante Moore wants to play for a team he feels like is going to contend. Uh, I, I think Oregon fits that bill. I think I could see him coming to Michigan. Uh, if J.J. McCarthy's moving on, he could step in and be the guy next year. What happens to Davis then? That is that's uh, quite the conundrum. That is a conundrum. You're you're basically taking that gamble. Hey, we might be blowing up our quarterback room, but if you truly believe he's the guy, uh, it could be not, not to overuse the um, uh, Justin Fields analogy, but in 2019, Ohio State had Justin Fields and then old farmer you know, Johnson, I don't know who your backup was, but you had nobody, right? Like either you have one guy and nobody, or you have a whole bunch of somebodies. And I think mm-hmm. that's the risk. Maybe Michigan's willing to take with Dante Moore. and one more team. I know we already connected uh, McCord to Miami. I could see him going to Miami. I think he also might be a little bit of a bag chaser and he's going to get a bag if he goes to Miami. So okay. uh, Michigan state, I just, I would be shocked if, if he ends up back there. Okay. Um, DJ Uyangale, a guy that could end up at Michigan state follows his head coach. Uh, it's either DJU or it's going to be Aiden Childs. One of those, I Oregon think it's state Childs. Guys will I think be it's Childs. State. I, I, I think, uh, I think, cause I think they're, I, because, uh, Jonathan Smith very much made sure that Childs got his this year because he mm-hmm. knows what the potential was. And I think if he has to build, I think he would rather have a quarterback that he knows he's going to get for at least two seasons, but yeah. probably three because Childs is more of a dual action. So he could build himself at MSU with Childs. So um, you could potentially bring, um, you know, Dante Moore up to Michigan State to build that competition and really do it. But like if, if it was between those two, 
I would take Charles. Dante Moore to Miami was a really good shout too. I think that makes a lot of sense as well. Um, DJU, even though I don't think this is the absolute best thing, I actually wouldn't be shocked if he was at Washington. If Kalen DeBoer thought I could harness him. DJU's okay. It's just, man, this it feels like a monstrous uh, drop from Penix to DJU. What what quarterback isn't a monstrous drop from Michael <laughs> Penix though? And the receivers that Michael Penix yeah. has, right? So yeah, I mean DJU's going to steady somebody's quarterback position, but the way Washington, you know, thirteen and zero, I feel like they want to take a bigger swing than a, a steady presence. I feel like they want a home run presence. We'll see. We'll see. I honestly uh, don't have a feel for where he'll end up. I, that that's the toughest one. Like I said, eventually I had to just start like putting names down, but it's good to talk about different places. Here I think is a little bit of an under the radar tier two quarterback in the transfer portal. Will Howard, formerly at Kansas mm. State. I've got one school that I think he is just destined for because for some reason it feels like he fits perfectly there. What's that? Texas A and M. It's tough. Uh... You would think, because he did pretty well at Kansas State. Mm-hmm. Texas A&M feels like they're a little bit imploding. Uh, it just came out that their best receiver is entering the transfer portal, and he came out and said that he never received a cent in NIL from Texas A&M when he was supposedly there on an NIL deal worth millions. Mm-hmm. So it, that's tough to go into a situation where they're they're losing players they're not paying their players, which supposedly they bought that number one recruiting class. Yep. Will Howard's but a good quarterback. I hope he, he finds is. a good situation. Uh, I don't think Texas A&M is a good situation. It might not be, but they at least have a new coach coming in, right? They got Mike Elko, a chance to set up a new culture, you know, a chance for new promises, a chance for new things. I think if it was Jimbo Fisher, I wouldn't say Will yeah, Howard, but true. because of Michael, because of Mike Elko, like, Will Howard, like, just watching the way he plays, like, he looks like he would just fit in a Texas A&M jersey playing quarterback for Texas A&M. He just, he feels like the exact kind of quarterback that they normally have there. And even though that number one guy is losing, like, Texas A&M still has decent uh, skill position. I mean, look at A-Chain in the NFL, what he's doing at the Miami Dolphins before he got hurt. They've always kind of got some sneaky good. Um, I've got three other QBs to look at that I think are just interesting because they've been around for a while. KJ Jefferson. <laughs> He's going to need a special situation. Uh, I'm trying to think of a team that wants to use a running quarterback. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, he's not up transferring, right? What do you mean? He's not going to a better situation. It depends. I think it depends because if he goes to a team that where he could maybe, maybe the team isn't as good as Arkansas, but they're better, they're competing better in their conference than Arkansas was. Uh, could he go to Nebraska? You know what? Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say that's an up transfer because, uh, you know, where Nebraska's at. They're the kind of the, it's, the it's, same it's, it's, for what Arkansas has been, it's lateral. It's a, it's yeah, a, lateral, a lateral, move, lateral move, but there's a chance for, better than what he had at Arkansas, especially because Arkansas trended down and not necessarily his fault. They just did as a team while, you know, the problem with that transfer is, does it not feel 
like you're just doing Jeff Sims 2.0. I mean, they it, just it would be got it would the be, running but, quarterback. But to be fair, like KJ Jefferson has highlight against Alabama, LSU. Like it's not Georgia Tech, right? Like though, like that matters. Like KJ Jefferson was good against Bama for a few years in a row. So I think he, I think that matters a lot more. And I mean, historically, Matt Rule second year programs in college football. Whew, like if any if any quarterback buys into that, uh, you know maybe KJ Jefferson. Because I mean, let's be honest: if Nebraska gets an easy schedule in the Big Ten, KJ Jefferson could probably feast on them. Yeah, um, that, that's a so, good point. Uh, I think that would be a good fit. Uh, the this is a down transfer, but Grayson McCall has entered the transfer portal, so there is an opening mm-hmm. at Coastal Carolina, where mm-hmm. I think KJ Jefferson would dominate at Coastal Carolina with that offense. I also wonder, is Liberty losing their QB? Because I wonder if K.J. Jefferson would consider Liberty as well. I think Caden Salter still got eligibility. I don't think he will be moving on. And he's been really good at Liberty. So I don't Mm -hmm. think they'd be in the market unless I'm mistaken. Maybe he's got more. Maybe he's done. But I think he's he's like a second or third year guy. Okay. Two more quarterbacks I want to touch on. Tyler Van Dyke. (laughs) Okay. You need to find a situation where you can scheme it up for him and say, here's your one read. You make the throw or you dump it off to a running back. Like you need an offense where he doesn't have to think because the guy doesn't read defenses, but he's got the arm to make any throw you want him to. Where that is, I don't know. Do you think Jeff Levy pulls him at Mississippi State? Uh, I don't know. That's There's another because... interesting spot for D- Dylan Gabriel. What if Dylan Gabriel entered the portal because he's following Jeff Levy? See, I, I would be more apt to connect Dylan Gabriel to Mississippi State than I would uh, TVD because when I look at Dylan Gabriel at his best, against Texas, I saw a quarterback that went through like three reads and then scrambled and then made a play where Tyler Van Dyke would not. <laughs> he just can't. He doesn't have that processing ability, and he also isn't going to scramble as well. So I don't love that connection, but you know, maybe if Lebby is just going to say, hey, I will make this work, and you're going to be way better than whoever Mississippi State has as the incumbent. But Gabriel would be a much better, much better pick. Yeah. I feel like another potential landing spot for Tyler Van Dyke is Pittsburgh, because I feel like Pittsburgh keeps bringing in quarterbacks like him all the time. They brought yeah, in and Keaton they want to just run the ball. So yep, yep. So that's actually a really good destination for him. Yeah. yeah. So last last one, and this is not more of the school that he's at, but do you think he'll end up at a bigger school than he was at, or is he going to go lower? Because this might be the most under the radar transfer QB out there, but it's Will Rogers from Mississippi State. Hmm. Do you think do you think he could take a step up to a bigger program? Or do you should. see him going to or do you see him going to like a high level group of five team and just slinging the rock around there? I think he should find a better situation. I think he was used very poorly this year. Uh, obviously it's gonna be a new a new coach and a new system, but he's got history. I mean, he he was, I think before this year, the leading yards uh passing yards guy in the sec for a pretty poor program so 
I'm not sure what his ideal situation is, but I think he should be going up rather than to a group of five. If he did is go he group a dark of five, horse? he would kill it, though. He would. Is he a dark horse for Washington, then? Because yeah, Penix, is someone, see that. Penix is someone who could sling the ball around who's not that mobile. Now, Washington proved in the Pac-12 championship, hey, Michael Penix, can you go pick up a third and two on a read yeah. option or a rollout? Yes, but Penix is breaking down. Maybe so. Maybe that's what if if Kalen DeBoer really needs someone who could just sling the rock. Maybe Will Rogers ends up there. He'll he'll but, be a solid quarterback for someone who is a a decent team who needs one. So I definitely. So the one other spot up. I have for him is USC. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of how how he would be used at USC compared because he's not necessarily throwing the ball like down the field as much as more of the short intermediate game. But well, Zachariah branch is the perfect receiver for oh, the short to intermediate. That's branch. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. I would, I think he'd be a great quarterback to get and USC going before they get their five-star freshman, you know, a little bit more run. Exactly. And if flat, like Fleming is more of a true route runner. So will Rogers and, Fleming could probably connect because Fleming's bread and butter is the eight yard to 15 yard routes. Like that's what Fleming does. Yeah. There's a few times at OSU he broke bigger ones, but Fleming never was like breaking down the field open. Fleming's just a true route runner. So if that's what Will Rogers needs more of, then maybe Fleming and Will Rogers are a good pairing out there. And then you've got Zachariah branch, who's your dump off guy. And then you Mm -hmm. got Brennan rice, who's just all around and is also a deep threat if it ever gets open. So who knows that could be interesting. So that that's a good that's a good spot. Yep. Do you have anything else on transfer portal? Not on transfer portal. I just have one last question for you on the mm-hmm. night. Penix or Daniels? Who is your Heisman Trophy winner? I think it's simple for me. It's Daniels. Uh, if you look at his stats, I don't have them in front of me, but I think he threw for about four thousand and ran for a thousand, and he had I think total like fifty touchdowns. These are numbers that haven't been. Uh, haven't been duplicated except for one year, which I believe was Lamar Jackson, who also won the Heisman. I know that he did not win the big games. He did not beat Bama, but he got knocked out of that game injured. Did not beat Florida State. Well, Florida State is undefeated and should be in the playoff. And they lost one more game. Uh, who did they lose to? Uh, LSU? Uh, they also lost to Bama and they lost to Ole Miss. Ole Miss. That one's not great. He was not on a contender this year, but it was not his fault. Those losses are not on him. He has a horrible, horrible, no good defense. And uh, the team just wasn't very good this year, but he was, without a doubt, the best player in college football by far. Give Here's my question for you Daniels, though. the Heisman. Here's the thing. I actually want to buy into that. However, when you look back at the Heisman winners who were not on a conference championship winning playoff team, BCS national championship, BCS bowl team, they each had moments. Robert Griffin III had the touchdown pass against Oklahoma to win at the end of the season. Johnny Menzel had the, the weird pass where he contorted his body and threw it against uh, them. Lamar Jackson at Louisville had the literally hurdled a dude who was standing upright and ran into the touchdown. Like those moments that you just remember. What's Jaden Daniels' moment 
from this season? Because I would argue that there wasn't a moment. Yes, is he very likely the best player this year? Yeah, Jane Daniels probably wasn't. He has great stats. But Penix has moments. The game-winning touchdown pass against Oregon the first time. He's got some crucial third-down runs. And he's got two big-time second-half touchdown passes. Even though the last one was only a short pass, it was still a great pass that got a 10-point lead against Oregon. And Michael Penix was the leader in passing yards this year. Now, Jaden Daniels did have more touchdowns. I'll give him that. Um, but Washington also was, if they got close, they handed it to Dylan Johnson and let him get his. Uh, but I think Penix has the moments. I think Penix has the undefeated season. I think he has the conference championship. And I think those three things, I do think Penix is going to get it and Daniels is going to be second. I think Dan- I think Daniels lacked that Heisman moment. Even though he has 100% had a Heisman season. You got to have the moment at some point. And if, if you watch he Daniels' highlight tape, he has it's crazy. A, a ton of moments. It's just that those moments weren't what sealed a SEC championship or an SEC West championship. So I I understand what you're saying. I would Mm -hmm. be willing to give the Heisman to Penix and and gladly do so. But the thing that's holding me back is from the first Oregon game to the next Oregon game, the games in between, which is basically most of October, if I'm not remembering correctly and the month of november he was not good he was struggling he was completing less than 60 percent of his passes he was not throwing as many touchdowns from september and then half of october he was fantastic from most of october november he was not great and then he was fantastic again against oregon so he had the moment and he had overall a very good season but a large portion of it it looked like he was playing injured i don't know maybe he was but he was he a little a, banked up. Not that he serious, had a large but... section where it was like mm-hmm. bad Michael and good Michael. And bad Michael took up a lot of season. Yeah, that's the same thing. But I mean, I, I think the easiest example of sometimes it's not just stats that get you that award or even gets you invited is look at Marvin Harrison Jr. Compare his stats to Malik Neighbors. Well, Malik so Neighbors. want to make... Malik Neighbors is ahead of him. And he's one. If you want to make the argument that Marv shouldn't be in New York, I would agree with you. See, I mean, I I honestly was very surprised when I heard that Marvin Harrison Jr. was in New York. But the one thing that Marv had is Marv had a lot of moments this year. And that matters because the people who do the Heisman voting are not watching the games religiously like we are. They just watch the highlights. Mm-hmm. You know, just whatever, whatever, like 30 second highlights ESPN puts together on their app. That's what Heisman voters are looking at. And so to me, the reason why I think Penix is going to win is when you look at the fact that Marvin Harrison got invited and Malik neighbors was never even mentioned, but he actually, I think led in every category over Marvin Harrison, except maybe touchdowns. Marv might've had more touchdowns, but neighbors had more receptions more yards and more yards per reception. There's, there's a few guys. I mean, Roma Dunze uh, mm-hmm. at Washington had similar stats. Um, the Oregon receiver that I'm blanking on his name had very Troy Franklin. better stats. That's going to be an Franklin. NFL receiver for sure. 
Uh, so yeah, I would definitely agree that there's 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 some uh, debate there on on Marv. Let let me twist the knife a little bit before we log off. I want to paint a picture. If Marv, let's say on that last play against Michigan, that Kyle McCord gets protection, he steps into the throw, he's not sacked, he hits McCord in stride, he makes a guy miss, he runs, and of course you can't catch him, he runs 23 miles an hour, and he gets to the end zone, he scores, of course he's going to get his 150 and two touchdowns against Iowa. Is he your Heisman? If it's based on moments, yeah. There would not yeah. have there would not have been a better moment on the season than a Marvin Harrison Jr. game winning touchdown at Michigan under a minute. Yep. It it would it would have it would have won sure. him the Heisman Trophy. Uh, there, there's an alternate timeline where that happens, just like there's an alternate timeline where Blake Corum wins the Heisman last year if he doesn't get hurt against Illinois, and that's uh we're just happen to be on on this timeline. What 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 if everything Donovan Edwards did against Ohio State that year was Blake Corum? Exactly. He, he walks away with that Heisman very easily. He's approaching 2,000 yards, uh, and he easily, uh, I think, takes that one home. And then he uh, loses to TCU. Oh, that would not happen because we would stay on schedule with, with Blake Corum, and I would not have a uh, debilitating PTSD about yeah, Michigan. Yeah, because Blake Corum threw those games. pick sixes. Don't give me Those started. were on schedule throws, too. Hey, now. We we don't need to get into to the history of uh, all right, why all right, all right. I have some issues about this <laughs> upcoming Rose Bowl. All right, I think that's gonna do it for us. We have eclipsed the two hour and eight minute mark. So if you're still here with us, you are a real one, and we appreciate you. We just had so much to talk about because it has been a fantastic season. We are here at bowl season, which is once again another one of the greatest times of the year. So we're going to lap it up. We appreciate the time that we've had today, and we'll catch you next week in another episode of Football for Enemies.